This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Look. This is hot, Ray. Symmetrical book stacking. Just like the Philadelphia Mass Turbulence of 1947. You're right. No human being would stack books like this. Listen. You smell something? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just saw the spookiest sight. OG dressed as a middle-aged podcaster. What? No way. Really? He looks like that all the time? Oh, we really got to work on the lighting down here, guys. Come on. But now, a tale well calculated to keep you in... financial suspense. We'll weave a tale of money habits gone bad with the minds behind the Mad Money Monster blog, Mr. and Mrs. Mad Money Monster. And as an extra evil little surprise, Mr. Mad Money Monster, Harrison, is a top horror film director. We'll grill him on his career and his macabre views. Plus, in our dark and creepy headline segment, one rocker chases UFOs, but might be buried alive in $37 million in debt trying to find them. The horror! And now, two guys who mom says even scare the neighbors, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G! It's only scary when you walk out to get your uh, newspaper in your bathrobe and bunny slippers every morning. Scary for uh, everybody on your street. Property values plummet overnight. Yeah, it's, it's your house. When I walk out in my bathrobe, oh there's yeah, applause. No, yeah, I'm sure. You walk out and wave. You're welcome. You're you're very very welcome. Hey everybody, welcome to the uh, creepy middle aged dudes in bathrobes podcast. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me. Luckily, not in a bathrobe. Ready to party like it's 2018. 
close to 2019. It's OG. Every Halloween, I go through the same thing. After it's over, I think about all this cool stuff I want to do for the next Halloween. And then and then the day, the, the weeks leading up to it, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do any of that stuff. Not going to happen. I'm going to sit here and hand out candy and we can't, in the pouring rain. We can't do anything where we're at right now. I mean, nobody's going to come to the house. I mean, mom will get a bunch here at the basement, but I'm living over a garage now. <laughs> so that's... Still, you mean, not now. St- still. still. That's right. That's right. Before we move to a van down by the river, we're in a garage, but nobody's going to come here. Nobody comes in the basement for candy. When we have signs out front that says, hey, little kids, there's candy in the basement. (laughs) (laughs) I can't figure out what could possibly... Shockingly, when Doug's like, hey, little little kids, follow me. There's candy down here. (laughs) But you know, the good thing is though, OG, is that he's well-dressed. I think that's the that's the great part. Oh, in his total chill clothes? He might yeah. be creepy, but he's well-dressed. Thanks to Mac Weldon, by the way, for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand. This should say the premium men's essentials brand, shouldn't it? That believes in smart design and premium fabrics for 20% off your first order. By the way, that's not 20% less clothing. That's 20% off the price. Ah, Can you believe that? Smart, smart distinction. It is. Yeah. Uh, good, you order sweatpants, but you get shorts. <laughs> good, 20% good, off. Good marketing on their, on their part. Visit MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Use promo code SB at checkout for that 20% off your first order. And uh, you're going to enjoy it. Happy Halloween. You know what? Because it's Halloween. We're going to stick to just one sponsor today. How about that? Okay. A little. That's our Halloween candy for every treat. Yes. We've got the Mad Money Monster couple. Uh, they had horror stories getting their financial act together. But not only that, Mr. Mad Money Monster is also a horror movie director. And so huh. we're going to talk about his favorite scary movies and about working on scary movies as well. So kind of a dream job episode. We're going to talk about the nature of work. And I love this idea, by the way, of doing what you love for work. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Expendables 3 was my scariest movie of all time that I saw. But, but where they almost died right near the end. Yes. yes. Very scary. And then they pulled it out and blew a bunch of stuff up. It turns out they made it work. I've never seen the movie and I made all that up. And I'm sure that's the way it went, though. <laughs> You've exactly. never seen Expendables. Well, first you got to start with Expendables one. Oh, you have to because of the you subplot. You cannot see number three without seeing number one. Because you of have all, to start. It's a trilogy. All those critical plot points that I might. It's like miss. Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. You know, you miss the whole like Luke. No, I am your father. You know, you you miss that if you go right to number three. Well, I don't want this podcast to be as long as Star Wars, so we got to go. We got a great show today. The Mad Money Monster couple waiting in the wings, but first we got a headline, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Complex, a music style and pop culture website. Complex, I'm sure you read that all the time, OG. I'm totally into pop culture. Well, yeah. Don't I scream pop culture to you? Now that you, I listen to Selena Gomez. Does that count? Now that you are Mac Weldon clothing, I mean, everybody (laughs) thinks you're just totally (laughs) on point. Tom DeLonge, who, by the way, was the front man for the band Blink 182. Remember Blink 182? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Responds to report that his UFO organization has accumulated thirty-seven million dollars worth of debt. Ooh, yikes. Yeah. Zap that to outer space. I don't know if you know this on Halloween, but chasing UFOs is expensive. 
Some, imagine. Sometimes you got to go into debt a little bit. Well, let's see. This is written by bit. Joe Price. It says, Tom DeLong has responded to a report that previously claimed that his To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences was $37.4 million in debt. Uh, DeLong took to Instagram to write, because Instagram's known for writing, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. When you want to write something, go to a site. Those are my favorite Instagram posts, by the way, when you're like, oh, that's cool. I wonder how they took that. Oh, it's a whole essay? Hard pass. Yes, gone. Well, there's one here too. DeLong took to Instagram to write blatant lie. Apparently, this writer can't read. By the way, TTSA never even raised, that's his company, TTSA, never even raised 37 million, exclamation point, exclamation point, question mark. So how in the hell did we spend it? Lord, I ask all of you that believe in the To the Stars Academy mission to go write a complaint on their website right now for trying to hurt an admirable effort to help humanity by using negative ads and lies. Our letter to them, Dear Ars Technica, it was an Ars Technica piece. Hmm. I'm writing you regarding the article posted Ars Technica this morning titled All the Dumb Things. That's a pretty funny title. This guy is totally like uh, Elon Musk, though, apparently. Apparently, yes. Blink He's one- trying to reach out, help, help, help humanity. Yes, Blink One Eighty Two frontman's UFO project, thirty-seven million in debt by Eric Berger. We were surprised Ars Technica would allow Mr. Berger to post such an article without asking either Mr. DeLong or To the Stars Academy Arts and Science for comment. This article is highly misleading, grossly mischaracterizes statements in an SEC filing. Had Mr. Berger bothered to reach out to us for comment, this could have been prevented. Mr. Berger apparently didn't even read the filing in its entirety and clearly did not understand. And this is actually the true reason why I bring this up clearly did not understand the excerpt of the sec filing. He quotes the approximate 37 million stockholders deficit is not debt as he characterized it, but is attributable to stock-based compensation expense. It is not related to the operational result of the company. The consolidated balance sheets of To the Stars Academy Arts and Science and the SEC filing quoted by your author clearly shows the approximately $37 million deficit is attributed to stockholders' equity deficit. The filing goes on to explain the mechanism for calculating stock-based compensation and details the various grants of stock options by the company. Mr. Berger's characterization of this debt implies that it stems from traditional borrowings. Had Mr. Berger bothered to email or call us, we could have directed him to the, these portions of the SEC filing and walked him through it. For Mr. Berger to make the conclusion, he did an incomplete research and his own interpretation without contacting Mr. DeLong or the company is inexcusable. We request you print this letter in full within the article as our statement. And so they did. The original story said that noted alien enthusiast and former Blink-182 frontman Tom DeLong may have been named UFO Researcher of the Year back in 2017, but the pop-punk musician's latest endeavor into the unknown hasn't exactly gone as planned. DeLong's To the Stars Academy Arts and Sciences, an organization he co-founded in an attempt to further UFO research, has amassed an astonishing $37.4 million in debt. And then it goes into that piece. Numbers, this I guess is my point. I mean, First of all, it's Halloween, so we're having some fun with the fact that Blink-182 guys out there looking at UFOs. Looking for them, I think. Looking for, helping the universe. Yes. But something that would help the universe if Mr. DeLong is correct in his assertion here, numbers tell a very specific story, OG. And if people really want to get the true story around their financial picture, like number one, write it all out. And then number two, 
start learning how to read what those numbers say, because you and I, you know, we get questions all the time. And I've had, I had somebody ask me last week, they said, how, how do you and OG like answer these questions just so quickly? And it's because we know how to read the numbers and believe it or not, it's not that hard. Shh. Don't tell people. (laughs) (laughs) That is very scary numbers. No, I think that uh, it's really important to be able to decipher what you're looking at because they do tell a story, especially in complex things. Obviously, in your specific financial situation, you can write a balance sheet or an income statement. You can look at your tax returns to see see what that looks like. I mean, those are real hard absolutes that that we can use. For example, one of the things that I think is really important is getting a clear estimation of what your lifestyle expenses are. All too often we say, oh, I spend about 4000 a month. But then when you do the math, you go, well, the number's really six. You go, no, no, it's not. I spend four. Oh, except for when I go on vacation, that's like five grand. And I do two of those a year. And then, well, car insurance is like another two grand, but I only pay that once a year. And you start adding those like one-time expenses up. That's a more accurate reflection of, of reality. So when you can put in the known numbers like taxes and like the savings you put in your uh, workplace retirement plans and how much you save in your broker's account, and you know how much income you make, you can subtract out the rest and say, well, here's, here's what the real number is, even though it may feel like your budget's 4000 a month, but three out of every six months, you've got a one-time expense of <laughs> an extra two grand. Well, guess what? Your budget's not four grand. It's really five, you know? So that's really important. But in even seeing those one-time expenses that are really big, understanding where they came from and if there's any way to systematize those or minimize the effect of that. Like as an example, people that I used to work with that were on a commission, you know, we would, we would set up things so that their commission checks went into a separate savings account and then they pay themselves a consistent paycheck out of that account so that they weren't living this boom bust lifestyle that they had from their income, like divorcing their income from their expenses all based on being able to read those numbers and kind of get the heartbeat of when those commissions come in. So we don't bankrupt the, the family, I think is not that hard, but something a lot of people don't do. Oh, and then you take it a step further and you look at something a little bit more complex, like a, uh, an income statement of a publicly traded company. Maybe you're trying to look at investing or, or you're looking at different information there. A lot of times there's, there's numbers within the numbers You've got to just read the whole thing. If you're going to commit to doing research, and it sounds like what this individual did when he wrote the article was he saw a line item that said shareholder debt, $37 million, and went, boom, $37 million in debt. I'm almost certain without looking at it that there's probably a footnote there that says, see reference to page 16, paragraph 2B or something like that. You know, And you got to, you got to be okay with reading between the lines, so to speak, and kind of going through the entire process. If that's what you're going to do, You've got to commit to doing the whole thing, not just not just part of the thing. I think that's really important. Assuming that Tom DeLong here is correct, he's got to be incredibly frustrated that somebody from Ars Technica, a major publication, can't really read the numbers and then publishes something that you know could damage. Or keep going. I mean, you can see the line item. If there's a line item that says shareholder debt, $37 million, you know, you might look at it and go, well, that's debt for $37 million, but like they illustrated in the article there, or the retort, I guess, that's a different phraseology. It's, it's, it's a whole different beast. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not like on your Amex bill. Right. <laughs> I think that's, that's lesson number one, is uh, 
you know, sometimes I think this is a foreign language podcast and we're teaching people a little bit. Did I say we're teaching people? We're, we're helping people learn how to, that's even bad. We're yeah. giving them a whole bunch of little candy bars to make it into one big candy bar. Per- that is perfect. That's, that's much better. That is definitely lesson number one from today's show. Whether you're somebody who wants to watch some fun horror films this Halloween night, or you're someone who wants to avoid a horror story with your money, we've got you covered on both sides because Mr. and Mrs. Mad Money Monster are in the basement. And what's cool is, is not only are they going to tell their story, their personal story about pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and getting their financial house in order, but also uh, Harrison is a horror film director and with films such as Camp Dread, Zombie Killers, Elephant's Graveyard, Death House, Garlic and Gunpowder, The Fields, which by the way, The Fields is a uh, is a personal story of stuff that he experienced and more. Uh, we're going to talk about climbing out of horror stories with your money. Let's say hello to Mr. and Mrs. Mad Money Monster, Lisa and Harrison. Well, on Halloween, who do you talk to? Well, of course, I like talking to my friends at the Mad Money Monster blog. Coming down the stairs, Mr. and Mrs. Mad Money Monster. How are you guys? Doing great. Thanks. Happy to be here. Doing great. Mother is lovely. <laughs> well, I'm glad you approve because, well, did you did you talk to her about featuring her Harrison in your next movie? Yeah, we'll put her in the fruit cellar. That's good. She's a, does that mean she's the first one to die? No, no. But if you saw Psycho, that's where they put Mother that's there. So. Right. That, that is true. That's good. Nice pull Thank on you. Halloween, man. So let's talk about your early lives because you guys kind of took what a lot of people could think are horror stories initially here on Halloween and uh, really made it made a really nice life out of it. But Lisa, let's start with you. How did you grow up? Yeah. So I grew up uh, actually in an eight by 50 trailer. I call it a trailer because uh, that is what I I was used to. And that's what people would call it back then. I know it's not trendy to say that anymore. They're manufactured homes or whatever, but I'm just going to call it a trailer because that's what I know. I was very embarrassed by that. And it's something that took me decades to get over. In fact, only a few years ago, have I come to accept it, I guess, and speak freely about it. Um, And I can't say it's because anybody really teased me growing up, but I grew up on I guess the right side of the track. So I went to the good school district and I was always afraid to make new friends because I didn't want to tell them where I lived or things like that. So you, um, wouldn't, you wouldn't invite people back to your house then? No, no, not unless I knew them from like elementary school when like I knew them growing up because I didn't want to go through. Yes, I live in a trailer because like I like I mentioned, it was like the good school district. So people didn't live in trailers. I was like the outlier, you know, so so I grew up kind of um, idolizing, I guess, other people's parents, not my own, because I mean, I look, I love my parents, of course, but, you know, they didn't graduate high school, so they couldn't give me any guidance as far as that goes. And so I looked at, you know, my friends or other classmates, I looked at their parents and just 
was in awe that they were able to complete that education and have that big, beautiful suburban home. I just kind of went through school kind of being, you know, under the radar. I flew under the radar, graduated, didn't really have any direction as far as college, wanted to go to college, but didn't know how to get there, never took the SATs, just graduated, got a job and and that was it. You know, I was working in a factory, uh, soldering electrical components day in, day out. And then it wasn't until, oh, I don't know, maybe a year into that, where I was speaking with an engineer that worked there. And he said, what are you doing here? You know, at that time, I was like 19 years old. What are you doing here? Why aren't you in college? And I was like, oh, I'm not smart enough to go to college. <laughs> and, and of course, he just laughed. I, I mean, he laughed so loud, the whole room turned around and looked at me. I was like, you know, completely bright red. I took what he said after that, like, absolutely, you're smart enough to go. That's ridiculous for you to even think. You know, I took that to heart and I actually acted on it, you know, so I secretly applied to the community college and (laughs) I got accepted. I still think it's phenomenal how this uh, random, what he probably took as an offhand comment, right, for him, like, what are you doing here offhand changed your life. Absolutely. And I always say that, like, now I can see, like, I'm a coachable person. And I've noticed over the years that not everybody has that ability or maybe doesn't want to do that. So basically, I applied, I got accepted, I started the community college, and I worked my butt off. I continued to work at the factory so I could pay for the tuition. Took me four years to finish two. Finally graduated and then transferred to a four-year private school. Um, around that same time, then I got involved with someone uh, that was not the best fit for me. But, you know, I, I was so young and I was focusing on my education. So I wasn't thinking maybe I shouldn't let this turn into a long term relationship. So it just kind of happened. You know, we just kept going, kept going. I graduated my with my bachelor's degree, was still in that relationship. At that point, I think we bought a big suburban house, right? (laughs) The kind I always idolized as a child. So I was doing all the right things, quote unquote. I was maxing out my retirement account. I was, you know, had the IRA. I had all that going. But it sounds like to kind of indirectly quote rich dad, poor dad. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're putting yourself on the hamster wheel. Like you are squarely getting yourself on the, Hey, we're going to get a lot of debt. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I live this lifestyle that I can barely keep up with and then see how fast I can, I can pedal the wheel. Yes. Well, that's also unfortunately before this community even existed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm pretty sure if I would have found, you know, stacking Benjamins oh, or something yeah, sure. like that. Yes. We've made a difference in exactly nobody's life. So don't do that. <laughs> don't, you can't, you can't ruin our reputation. We're going to come back to you for a second, but Harrison, I want to hear about you growing up. How did you grow up? Well, I had kind of I, my first movie was about that, as a matter of fact, called The Fields with uh, Cloris Leachman and Tara Reed. I spent a lot of time with um, my grandparents. My mother and father had a pretty nasty divorce. So um, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents down on their farm. And one of the things my grandmother loved to do was watch horror movies. So I got to watch a lot of Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Creature Feature on Saturday afternoons. When I was eight years old, my mother took me to see Jaws. That was the movie that made me want to make movies. I walked out and I remember telling my mother when we were leaving the theater, I said, this is what I want to do. But you didn't, st- but you didn't start off move- making movies. You became a history teacher. That's correct. Yeah. I um, grew up wanting to make movies, made movies as a kid in the neighborhood, all of that stuff. And then I got accepted to Penn State 
I had a great time in high school. It's like I lived a John Hughes life in high school. And then I went off to college looking to recreate that and pretty much found myself on a very short trip to college. So um, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? Well, it meant that I partied too much and was, you know, chasing the cheerleader down the hall. So <laughs> quite you know, literally. And I, and I, yeah, well, I caught her. Um, <laughs> but I ended up uh, failing out and being absolutely humiliated for failing out, you know, big fish, small pond syndrome kind of thing. And uh, so I decided to move to California. I was 18 years old. I saved up about 3000 bucks, put it in my pocket, rolled up some posters, took a suitcase and flew to Los Angeles, uh, where I ended up uh, getting a job at Universal Studios. Whoa, whoa hold There's like 50 <laughs> things there I want to go through. Hold on. Okay. Let, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to Penn State, which, by the way, is a college I like uh, much better now that they just lost to Michigan State, my 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 school. But <laughs> but deciding to move to California, did you tell your family you're going to California? How did <laughs> how did that happen? I used to tell my students there are a few things worse in life than seeing your mother cry than being the one to make her cry. And when she got my grades, and my mother had worked three jobs to put up that money for the tuition. And my mo- I'll never forget my mother just saying, I should have just set this tuition money on fire. I lived at home. My mother charged me rent, 150 bucks a month. I stayed home for, it was close to three and a half months. And then uh, one day I told her, I said, I'm going to move to LA. And she goes, when? And it was a Monday. I said, Friday. It was like literally five days later, literally five days later. Was it, uh, she, was it, was it that spur of a moment though? Or were you, had you been planning this the whole time you were home? I'd been planning it because I went up to visit my roommates at Penn State they were always joking about like I was the Indiana Jones of celebrities. Like I could find people on the phone back then. I mean, there was no internet to track people down. And so I, as a challenge, they would say, find this person, get this person. And I would get them. And so one of them, they said, well, psycho three was about to open. And they said, Oh, get, get Norman Bates. Can you get Norman Bates? I said, I don't know. I'll try. So I got on the phone and, uh, I dialed California directory, got the number for universal studios, Hilton green's office. Cause I knew that's who he worked with. And I got a secretary, Jackie Laster was her name. And we started talking. I said, well, I'm, I'm a reporter for the Penn State Collegian, oh. <laughs> which was a total lie. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, um, I'd like to talk to Anthony Perkins about Psycho 3 opening up on campus. You know, his cult status is Norman Bates. She's like, wait, you go to Penn State? And I go, yeah. She goes, well, I graduated Penn State. Oh, and there you go. And there we went. And it ended up where I said, well, I'm thinking of moving out there. She goes, well, if you ever do, you let me know. You bring me a Penn State hoodie. I'll get you in to see Tony Perkins. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. So so, <laughs> so you go to you go and you meet him then. Oh, yeah. And and you met her. You bring her a Penn State hoodie. I'm imagining yeah. that's the cost of yeah. entry. It was a white hoodie with the, the blue lettering. <laughs> I walked in with a VHS tape under my arm and a. Uh, I got in his office before he did. He was out to lunch. So I'm like sitting in his high back chair. I'm like, wow, I'm in Norman Bates's office. And I, there he comes through the door and I'm sitting in his chair. He was extremely nice. And he patiently looked at my crappy reel. Then he said, he goes, so what are you doing out here? And I said, well, I just moved out here, which I had no kidding, got off the plane, went to a bus stop, put all my belongings in a locker washed myself in the bathroom sink to make myself look present. I didn't even have a home yet. <laughs> so I'm at Universal Studios without a home. And he says, well, you, you want a job? And I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, well, let's walk you around the lot and see what's out there. 
So he walked me all over the universal lot. And this we has got to be, this is to, to a horror fan fanatic like oh, you, yeah. this has got to be just surreal. It was. I'm walking around with Norman Bates. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then um, they were shooting a show called uh, A Day in the Life, I think is what it was called. Uh, Richard Kylie was in it. And I met him and Anthony said, um, well, maybe, maybe this would be a fit. They're looking for, you know, paid production assistance. I'm like, I guess. And then he said, well, I, I'm going to walk you back to B-Lot. Uh, Murder, She Wrote is shot there. He goes, maybe you'll like that. So I went back to B-Lot and there was this editor there and he was just showing me. What did it was he showed me they were just starting digital editing at that time using computers to start editing A to B, you know, linear editing. And he said, he goes, if, if you come here, I'll be able to teach you all about it. This guy was phenomenal. I met Angela Lansbury only a handful of times, never spoke to her other than to say good morning. But after hours, because the 101 was all backed up, he would show me everything from audio, looping, digital editing. I learned so much from this guy. And uh, I kind of stayed around there for a while and then realized I'm not really, I started dating a girl. She was an actress on a soap opera and um, she was in Nightmare on Elm Street too. And so I know, so, but that was kind of going nowhere. Then her grandfather got ill back East and she went home. So I followed her home uh. and, I, and I stayed there and kind of what Lisa was saying, I really liked her and she liked me, but I, I wasn't in love and she wanted to get married and uh, she was coming into an inheritance and she's like, we could start a production company together. And for a moment I'm like, all right. But then it's like, I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. So we broke up. And then I stayed back east. And then I went back to school and I got my bachelor's in two years with a 3.85. Just as an aside, not to cut you off, because I also went back to school. And and was it because of the fact that you went back and you knew why you were there that you got it done so quick? Yes. Yeah. Well, and and I had to work. I mean, I had a sure. I was renting a home and I didn't want to be 30 years old when I graduated. I was under the gun. I had met a girl at that time and I thought she's not going to marry a movie theater manager. You know, so not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me, it's not what I wanted. And I always loved history. And then I taught for almost 15 years. Everybody knew I wanted to make movies and I made movies with the students. We had a film club. It was kind of like, you know, the failed dream kind of thing. You're, you're kind of living vicariously by making little rinky dink VHS movies and all that. But a uh, local financier came to me and said, I want to make a movie. My kid is graduating NYU. He wants to be a producer. I hear you're the guy. Talked with him and one thing led to another. Um, he handed over a million dollars to make the fields. Wow. Yada, yada, yada. We make the fields. <laughs> a million, a million bucks. A million bucks. I'm going to come back to, to, to films here in sure. a second, but the two of you. So how did the two of you meet? <laughs> well, Tell him, honey. We <laughs> met online. <laughs> he hates that fact, but it's true. We actually used can I plug the, I guess I can plug the, <laughs> the dating site, right? Yeah, I don't care. Plenty, plenty of fish. <laughs> All right, good. I don't even, so, I don't even know that site, but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, especially back when we met, that was, a, I, don't, I don't know how it is. I don't, I'm kind of out of the loop these days, so I don't know what's trendy as far as the dating sites go. <laughs> but back, back then that was a, a big one. So uh, yeah, I had grown tired of the, the personal dating scene. Nothing was working out. I was with this one girl that hated my dog. So that's a no go. <laughs> so that was it. I had a big German shepherd and I love this dog and, uh, she didn't you, like the dog. You love, so one of the two had to go and it was her. 
It was her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, was- and, that, and that's when you know that it's not right, by the way, when it's her versus the dog. Right. But, but the two of you, so the two of you get together, were you guys great with money initially together? I feel like we were both kind of in reboot mode. I'd say that's fair. And we were kind of living like we were college grads, like 22 year olds, right? Like just kind of whatever we're going to do, we're dating, we're in love, we're going to go out to eat all the time. We're going to go, we weren't really, we didn't really have a, a solid plan. And then it kind of got to the, well, it did get to the point, not kind of, you know, we talked about getting a bigger house because he was living two hours away from me. So the logical choice at the time was for him to come to where I am, his career, you know, obviously he can do wherever I cannot, uh, you know, I still have my 40 hour a week job. So I'm kind of landlocked or, you know, stuck in one spot. So he came to me and, you know, the home is what it's 1300 square feet upstairs. And then, you know, now we have a finished basement. So it brings it to like 2100 square feet, but at the time we didn't have the basement. So we, we thought, well, let's just see what's out there, right? We'll start to go to open houses. And I, I don't know how it spiraled into, <laughs> we're, we're going to buy a 400,000 plus home, right? It was like, oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and we were actually under contract. I don't even know how it happened. I mean, it just happened. You know, we one open house after another, then you sign with a realtor. Then it's like, then you're checking the app, realtor.com. They're sending you emails. I guess the home was what, 412,000 at the time. Now we still had the home we lived in. I have also a rental property from before. We didn't want to give either one up. We wanted to turn our current home into a rental. It was just a lot financially to jump into with a, a new marriage and it was to the point where I was having panic attacks. You were too, right? Like I was extremely anxious about it because I, I knew yeah. that we were going to end up being house poor. The biggest issue is, you know, having to cover both of the other homes yeah. if something doesn't go right or right. tenants move yeah. out. And you just can't predict what's going to happen. And we just weren't in that position to take that on, you know. So that's when we kind of stepped back and said, we need to get our crap together. Yeah. <laughs> this is, we are out of control and we are not 22 anymore. Right. So that's when we got back to basics. And, but, but that's funny because it wasn't just that house then, it was everything. It sounds like that move, you started to reexamine everything. The well, house was, I guess, the last straw, yeah, I guess. Because yeah. I mean, my, my career was changing. I was getting more projects and, and offers and I was moving up the ladder and you know, it was more important about putting money away for either in, investing into this home, which we ended up doing. Right. And then, you know, putting money away for other when we're older, yeah, other right. things, retirement. investing, retirement, just getting back on track yeah. with what we should be we just doing doubled with down our money. And that's what we did. Right. right. Yeah. So how often do you guys talk about money now? <laughs> Every I day. love talking about money. <laughs> And by the way, for everybody, for everybody who can't see us across the table from each other, Harrison just rolled his eyes in like a, like a big way. We talk more about money than we do movies. <laughs> Which is bad this for is you. True. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that is very true. But no, that's good because one thing that made me laugh, uh, Lisa, that you wrote was that you thought that your story of the two of you will never be like a Yahoo Finance uh, headline. Oh. Like, right. you'll, like you'll never make it, but it really is. What I like about talking to the two of you is, is what you guys have done together are things that the average person can do. You haven't sold everything and moved to an Airstream trailer. You're not, uh, you know, living on a boat. I mean, you're doing stuff that anybody can do if they just put their mind to it. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely yes. true. And having fun doing it too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like we've, 
we live a, a Spartan lifestyle at all. Right. You know, it's just um, my money comes in. I just hand it to her. Which I love. <laughs> that, that's a, are we married to the same person? Because I feel totally <laughs> like that's Cheryl and I right there. But, yeah. but let's talk about a few things. A lot has been made lately about the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early movement. What's your feeling about that? Because you guys are kind of on that track. I have a, a strong opinion about this. I've always been enamored with like the FIRE movement. And I think it's a romanticized idea. I don't know how good it would be for me or for us as far as a reality. So I know my husband, he never wants to retire because he absolutely loves what he does. Well, that's, now, what, from, I, that's what I was thinking because you guys seem a lot more like Cheryl and I, where we love what yeah. we do. I mean, if I weren't here talking to you, I'd be at the mall talking to some stranger without a microphone. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. so I like the option to retire or not necessarily re retire, but retire from maybe my current corporate job, which again, I do not hate. And I think that's an important piece of, you know, like, you know, just the other week I came home and I was stressed out and things weren't going the way I wanted them to go at work. And, you know, we had a conversation and I, then I just started to appreciate what I do have with my corporate job. And it really does pays well. I have excellent benefits. I have great coworkers. So I think sometimes people get into like a movement like this and they might become, I don't know, disgruntled with what they do have, you know, thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. And I, I don't, I don't know if that's coming across the way I want it to come across, but I'm happy where I am. No, right but I now. think and that, I think that somebody described it to me once as a life well worked, you know, there's yeah. nothing yeah. wrong yeah, with yeah, a life yeah. well worked. And it sounds like, sounds like you like what you like. I don't think Harrison likes what he does at all. So. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> He's miserable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about that too, that change from history teacher to, to filmmaker? I mean, I know you had the million dollar opportunity, but part of you at the same time had to be like, I've got this guaranteed paycheck. I got yes. this job that I can rely on. Walk me through that decision process. Well, I also had a, a first wife who wanted me to stay as a teacher and take the safe road. She sure. was, she worked for the government. So everything was very A plus B always equal C and two plus two is always four. So when you have a concrete sequential way of thinking, and then you have my way of thinking, which the day I got hired as a teacher, I had told her, you know, I'm not going to retire with the pat on the back and a sheet cake and 40 years of service. I'm not doing that. This is to pay the bills and be a responsible husband until something comes along. I mean, in the summers, I wrote scripts and I sent them out and I looked for representation and constantly honed my craft to try to get there. So when the opportunity came for the fields, and the fields got made, and, and I will say this, and I've said this in previous interviews, for a film that was about my childhood and a true story, a thriller of what happened to me in the summer of 1973, making the fields was such a miserable experience for me. I would go through the death of my mother again than make that movie. Hmm. That's how miserable of, a, of an experience it was making it. So imagine your whole life wanting to do it, and then you finally get the chance and you hate it. And it was that bad of an experience. So when I went back to class, I had a, a senior in my class and he said, well, what are you going to do now? Now the movie, I only missed four days of school on a 32 day shoot. So I wasn't even on set a lot of my own film. This kid said to me, he goes, so what's next? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, we'll see. We'll see how this movie does. And he goes, that's it. I go, well, yeah, Phil, that's, that's it. He goes, we, you told us all, all the time that we've had you that, you know, follow your dream and, 
you know, take the risk and roll the dice and all of that. And I said, yeah, I said, well, I also have a home to pay for and all of that. And he goes, yep. Just like my old man says, those who can't do teach. That's what he said. Wow. And I went, I looked at him and I said, you're not supposed to do that. And he goes, I wasn't disrespectful. I said, no, I said, it's my job to make you think. So I went home and I said, I need to try this before it's too late. The window will close and I don't want to be that guy sitting in a bar somewhere drinking a beer going, I came that close. So we decided we had enough income saved up. And with her government income, I'll do what Mark Twain once said to paraphrase him. And that is do what you love. If you're not making any money at it in two years, go chop wood. Yeah. So we gave it two years and uh, I landed a movie six months later with Corey Feldman got the money for that and rolled right into that. And then I rolled into a third film and the first wife wasn't too happy about any of that. She was pretty nonplussed over that. <laughs> Finally, it just came down to talking about the transition from teaching. Cause I retired from teaching yeah. after the fields to try film for two years. And I never came back because I just rolled from one film into another and a TV show for discovery. So, um, the real transition was, leaving a marriage of at that time, almost 17 years and knowing her for 22 years to go out on my own because she did not want that lifestyle. I mean, she said, I don't want to come home and Cloris Leachman's in my kitchen. I don't want Tara Reed in our living room. I don't want Corey Feldman smoking a cigarette on our deck <laughs> and she couldn't do it. You know, she, and I, I, I respect it. I understand because what she was trying to say is I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. You know, she signed up, for a teacher, you're going to teach or go be a college professor, go teach film at college. But I don't want this lifestyle. So we, it was a very amicable divorce. Yeah. But um, I still can't imagine how painful that would be Harrison. I mean, that whole period must've been super painful. Just realizing that this thing's at an end. Yeah. Well, it, there were a lot of things at an end. My mother had just died. She never got to see the fields. She didn't even get to see the fields go into production. So there was a lot going on. It was kind of a bit of a maelstrom. So for me, you know, it was like, you got to go forward. The only way is forward. So I did it and I'm still here. I'm glad you guys were able to tell your story today a little bit. I mean, that definitely is, is not, there's so much of your story that we could tell, but I think we go to the blog to get that. We have to transition though, because we're way over time. We have to transition to the really important part of this discussion. It's Halloween and we got to talk horror movies. <laughs> so, All right. But before we do that, let's talk about some of the stars that you've worked with. Sure. Who surprised you of all these names of people that you've worked with? Which of mm -hmm. these people really surprised you? I'm going to say who really surprised me probably was uh, Kane Hodder, who played Jason Voorhees uh, in Friday the 13th movies. Uh, that's his big claim to fame. He's also Victor Crowley in, in the Hatchet films. Kane is a big, big brute of a guy. And is known I, to. Uh, I, I I didn't know that, by the way. <laughs> yes, yes, seeing those movies, I would have thought he was tiny, yeah. right? Um, and on set, one of the kindest, generous people with a terrific, terrific sense of humor. Just, I think, surprised because of the amount of uh, compassion, and he's a big, gentle giant, is what he is. So, and and also a uh, Gunner Hansen. What really surprised me about Gunner was his fortitude, because while we worked together on the script of Death House. Gunner was dying of pancreatic cancer mm. and he never let on. You had and no, in fact, you, you had no I, idea. You had no idea. I, at no all. idea. Didn't know until 
about two weeks before he died. Didn't even know. In fact, he helped me propose to Lisa because Lisa <laughs> loves Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> and Leatherface, and he played the original Leatherface, so he helped me propose to her. How romantic yeah. being proposed to by oh Leatherface. My. Yeah, we have, we have, and we have pictures to prove it. <laughs> I, I think you might be one of the only families in America that would call that romantic, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite sweet. Uh, but, um, that would be a big surprise. I've, I've had the pleasure of working with just really nice people and especially on death house with almost every major horror name that's out there. One of the kindest sets I've ever worked on. I had a blast every day and they were nice people. Was that the easiest film of yours to make? I'm going to say, uh, I think garlic and gunpowder, my comedy was the easiest one to make because we just freaking laughed every day and it was so stupid. It's such a zany screwball comedy. I was going to say, um, but it's so different than everything else you've made. It's wild that that would be the, yeah, easy but it's one. got a pretty it politically incorrect, dark kind of humor to it. <laughs> it's not for, uh, it's not for this, I guess anybody who's easily triggered or offended, you know, with the, all this false internet outrage over everything. I'm sure there are a couple people that would find it offensive or, and that's just fine by me because I had it uh, favorably compared to blazing saddles. So I was quite happy. (laughs) That is good. Yeah. That's a plus. Now, when it comes to making a movie for people trying to break into your industry, what would you tell them? Do it. (laughs) Don't talk about it. There are too many. We have too many movie critics. Everybody with WordPress thinks they're a movie reviewer. Everybody with final cut pro and a prosumer camera thinks they're a filmmaker. You are not. You go out, you make something, and if it isn't good, you get better at it. And you make connections and you network. You will not s- – the, the biggest myth in the industry is that you're going to make a movie like Paranormal Activity for $15,000 and it's going to make $400 million. That's not going to happen because what nobody tells you is, is that Paranormal Activity, while it was shot for fifteen grand, also had $2 million worth of post-production done to it to clean it up, shoot CGI, and renew all new special effects – And then Paramount Pictures picked it up with a $50 million ad campaign. Of course, it's going to make money, but they don't tell you all that. So I'm here to tell anybody listening, if you think you're making your $20,000 movie and you're going to make $100 million, I am here to tell you, no, you are not. (laughs) However, that should not stop you from making your movie. Get out there, make it. John Carpenter told me that. When they shot Halloween, they drove around with Jamie Lee Curtis in the back of his LTD. They had the camera in the trunk with a bunch of leaves and a leaf blower and they found a neighborhood. They had no permission to shoot. They threw Jamie Lee out of the car. They said, go walking down there. John's blowing leaves out of his back of his trunk to make it look like fall in Pasadena of all places. Okay. And then the neighbors come out going, Hey, do you people have a permit? They get Jamie, they throw her back in the car and they drive away, (laughs) but they made the movie as forgiveness later. Right. And now Jamie's starring 40 years later next week in, in the new installment of the film. (laughs) So I have no idea. Jamie Lee who? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. Right. Jamie Lee who? (laughs) Yes. Uh, If people are going into IMDb and they're looking at you, which of your movies would you tell them to start with? I would tell them to start with Camp Dread. That starred Eric Roberts and uh, horror screen queen, uh, Daniel Harris and Felissa Rose. Camp Dread is a fun film. It's a throwback 80s slasher summer camp movie. A lot of blood, a lot of boobs, and a lot of fun. (laughs) Deal. I would suggest The Fields because that's my favorite. And that is my least favorite. <laughs> uh, but it, it is a crowd pleaser. The Fields is presently also on Hulu. Um, it ran a record two and a half years on Netflix. People can watch or, it tonight. They could. Absolutely. And it's true. I'm the little boy in the film. Yeah. How uh, that experience, and I don't want to give too much away, but uh, that experience. Tell me a little bit about that. It. Um, I always say it started with a stick. 
I was playing in the backyard. I, my grandmother had a weeping willow tree and the branches would come down and I pretend they were Godzilla or, st- or I was Ultraman and I'd fight the, the monster sticks. And, um, I heard something in my grandparents, uh, farmette was surrounded by three sides of corn that went miles. We're not that like it, you could swear you were in Iowa. Okay. Or Nebraska. I heard something in the corn and I thought it was a dog. So I took one of the sticks over and I'm yelling to it, like, come here, come here, nothing. But something was moving in the rows about like 12 rows back, maybe. So I threw the stick into the corn, you know, for the dog and the stick came back <laughs> and that's how it started. And that's a great place to end that discussion. I mean, if, <laughs> if that doesn't make people want to go see it, th- th- there's nothing else. Let's talk about movies though, tonight that aren't yours, because You've been sure. inspired by different things. Actually, I want to ask Lisa this. Let's bring you. Oh <laughs> so, so, so you've got Mr. Horror Movie Maker here as, as a husband. Films that aren't his. Which one's your favorite that's not his? Oh, boy. A scary movie? Yeah, I for tonight. Like, I like scary movie, like lighter movies. So I like the Scream, the first do, Scream. Do you really? Yeah, I loved that movie. Oh, I loved that movie. <laughs> Yes. Well, I love Wes Craven. So, (laughs) but that's funny you say that because there's a specific genre that I like too. I like ghost story movies where everything is implied and stuff really doesn't happen. Like I like being on the edge of my seat more than I like being actually scared. You know what I mean? Well, then have you seen Lake Mungo? I have not. Then you need to, it should be at the top of your list. Uh, no, uh, my favorite movie, uh, horror movie, way old one was the changeling, not the, Oh yeah. With George C. Scott. George C. Scott. Yeah. Fantastic movie. Yeah, Uh, it's great. uh, You'll love Lake Mungo. It's a great ghost story. I got to watch that. Uh, Harrison, so so your favorite movies that aren't yours for Halloween? For Halloween? Yes. Uh, The 1985 Fright Night. Oh, yeah, yeah. By Tom Holland, who's a friend. And um, Psycho 2 is one of my favorites. That's what I think Camp Dread is more of a tip of the hat to Psycho 2 because I walked into Psycho 2 expecting to absolutely hate it as a boy. And I loved it so much. I came out and bought another ticket and went right back in. Mm-hmm. Bride of Frankenstein is another one of my favorite. I think the Bride of Frankenstein is brilliant. And I think it's more relevant now than it was when it was made. It's not really a, some people call it a science fiction film, but uh, the invasion of the body snatchers, 1978 with Donald Sutherland and Jeff Goldblum, because that came true. Like we're living it now. <laughs> we are. We're think, living it now. I, th- I think we leave it right there. Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. Mad Money Monster, thanks for hanging out with us for our Halloween show. Absolutely. Thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I've just been messing around with this Ouija board thing. And let's see how. Whoa, whoa. Oh, man. I hit my head. Wow. I I feel... uh... Hey there, trivia fans. I'm the real Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And today we bring you from deep beyond the grave. My trivia. Don't worry. There's nothing behind you right now. You don't need to look. Everything is normal. Well, regardless of that thing just out of your eyesight that's tiptoeing toward you, let's deliver today's little morsel. Maybe your last. Your trivia question. 
What is the only horror movie in film history to make over $300 million? Big thanks to Mac Weldon for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Mac Weldon's a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. I wore the uh, socks for the first time yesterday. Did you get their socks? I did not get socks. Yeah. Nope. I went with uh, sweatpants and a long sleeve pullover. The socks are nice, especially in uh, going to colder climates, like really comfortable and and warm. I'm going to love wearing those around the house. I think it's going to be fantastic. Those sweatpants, you're talking about the weekend pants? Yeah. Dude, those are slim. They don't look like sweatpants, like when you wear them. Cheryl saw them at first and went, okay. And then I put them on. She's like, those look great. Look at your booty. Look at me. (laughs) That's, That's uncomfortable. Mac Weldon's going to give you the ultimate comfort in underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. Their underwear, socks, and shirts don't only look and feel good, they also perform well. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I'll tell you that, that just the quality of that sweatshirt. What color sweatshirt did you get? Blue. That's funny. So did I. That light blue, kind of that baby blue? Dark. Oh, did no, you? No, no, dude. I know you went with the baby blue because you wanted to match your away suitcase. We... <laughs> Well, well, I told the story on Monday, but but Cheryl totally took it. I don't even own that sweatshirt anymore. She wore it over nah. to a friend's house this weekend with it. That's, I mean, it's great for it's around gone. the house, but yeah, yeah. She's like, this one's mine, made for men, but uh, stolen by women. That should be it's trademarked. That that should be a slogan. Their products start with innovative fabrics that each have their own unique purpose and story. This includes their silver line of underwear and shirts made with a natural antimicrobial material that eliminates odor to keep you feeling cool and fresh all day. Yeah, I like that idea of eliminating odor, especially uh, in particular. Yeah, if I'm around Doug, right? Uh, So whether you're working out, going to your job, going out on dates, or are just wearing them in everyday life, Mac Weldon. If you don't like your first pair of underwear, listen to this. You can keep it, and Mac Weldon will still refund you, no questions asked. Mac Weldon makes online shopping for men's clothes both easier and rewarding. So how do you get some? Get this, because you listen to the show, you're going to get 20% off your first order. Head to MacWeldon.com. Use promo code SB at checkout. That's 20% off your first order by visiting MacWeldon.com and using promo code SB at checkout. That'd be a cool gift, by the way, if you're listening to this and there's uh, some man who needs better clothing good holiday gift for the man in your life or for your favorite podcaster like hook us up that's yeah that could happen too yeah it could happen and even if we're not your favorite maybe second third favorite whatever we'll take it hey there trivia fans what was that Probably nothing again, just your imagination. I shouldn't really have even commented on it, should I have? Just a quick question. How's your life insurance? No reason for the question. Let's bury that question and ask this instead. What is the only horror movie in film history to make over $300 million. While 1973's The Exorcist has reigned as the king of the horror movies for 
44 years at $232.9 million. Stephen King's It last year was the first horror movie to cross the $300 million mark. Clowns. That's funny. I wouldn't look in the mirror anytime soon because there won't be anything looking back at you. Nothing strange. See ya in hell. Big thanks to Lisa and Harrison for stopping by. Love these stories that aren't necessarily the type of stories that we think of as front page, like Alea Linton, who was on recently, of course, paying off the $86,000 in debt. Like Lisa and Harrison didn't do that, but it still was step-by-step methodical getting their stuff together. Like sometimes we always love this Phoenix from the flame story. Right. But like Greg McFarlane, who used to appear on our show, used to say, what about all those people that don't get into huge trouble in the first place? Uh Uh-huh. You know, good for Lisa and Harrison for putting it together. Do it the right way. Yeah. Step-by-step, very systematically. And by the way, to Doug's trivia point, Stephen King's It. Did you see It? I didn't, yeah, not my kind of movie. Uh, nope. I'll probably see it at some point, but horror movies and I have a hard time with that stuff. But you know what's not that horrifying? Throwing out the even lifeline. Well, it might be horrifying until we throw out the lifeline. Yeah, you're splashing around there in the middle of the ocean with no one to rescue you. And then here we come. Da-da-da. Let's throw out the even lifeline. We're going to tackle some of life's most important and scary sometimes questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Candy corn. Oh, it's, candy corn. No. Do you really like candy corn? Oh, God, no. I was going to say Kit Kats and uh, Three Musketeers. Although your story about that green Three Musketeers. Oh, man. Gross. That was so now. bad. That's immediately what I thought. But you know what I do now for every Three Musketeers? I literally break it in half before I eat it, even <laughs> the tiny ones. <laughs> I do not put a Three out. Musketeers in my mouth without crack it in half still check them out i like milky ways like milky ways like the tiny ones those are pretty i don't get those anymore so yeah i can't i gave my kids the uh the tax they did trunk or treat last week and uh, which is like our friend kathleen said on twitter isn't it just like going to cvs and giving the candy out to all the people in the parking lot (laughs) exactly like that um But anyway, you know, my kids get home. They're like, look at all this candy. I'm like, here, let me see. They're like, Dad, don't take it. I said, no, this is how taxes work. Sorry, this candy was already allocated, but the tax man cometh. You warn them. If they listen to the show, they'd know that the OG household is a communist country. Oddly enough, my 9 and 11-year-old give two shits about my podcast. <laughs> so, that's so, so weird. It's actually your family and your time. Your loved ones, oh, not and Milky Ways, and no. But if your but if your loved one comes with a Kit Kat, then it's even better. Do you eat the Kit Kat like layer by layer? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. Good. Yeah. I'm not the only one. I break those things off. I'm not a heathen. <laughs> That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. You know, what's funny is, is that uh, this is like the perfect time to get a quote with all this Halloween stuff, this gore, this horror, all these bad things that could happen. If you're insured, who cares? Like zombies. Big deal. Let them come after me with a chainsaw. I have a million dollars of life insurance, so I'm fine. <laughs> come get some. <laughs> 
Affordable prices, no waiting several weeks for a decision. Lovely customer support. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our new friend, John. Say hi, John. Hey, Joe and OG. This is John from Oklahoma. Just had a quick question about HSAs with open enrollments coming up. Just wondering, can you use an HSA in a foreign country the same way that you'd use it for medical care here? I, I imagine you could, but I just kind of wanted to check. Appreciate it. Love your show. Love Doug and love his trivia. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Man, we shouldn't share that at all. Doug hears that, John. The head's just going to get bigger, and we can't We can't really have that. But thanks for the Oklahoma question. State had a good weekend last weekend. They did have a good weekend. They uh, it would have been better if no there was a horns. if there was a fight at the end of that game. It would have been even better. Well, there kind of was. There kind of was, but it was a much ado about nothing. It could it could have been better. It, it, by the way, it's all about my entertainment. So, do you think that John means a foreign country like Texas <laughs> or Kansas? Both those are foreign countries to Oklahoma. Oh, I know. hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have absolutely no idea the answer to this question. Do you? I do not. I think this, my my first resource would not be you and I, but thank you yeah. for asking. What I would do is go to your administrator of the HSA plan. Normally I'd use Google, but in this case, I'd go to the administrator of your specific plan and ask about that. Well, this is a tax law issue as it relates to the taxability of withdrawals from an HSA. I get, I get and, that. And so- if you're thinking about the future, because presently there's no timeline on matching up those withdrawals to actual expenses, I guess it matters not. I mean, I'm just kind of working through this as I'm talking about it. I don't think it matters where you are when you make the withdrawal, because if you're a U.S. citizen, you're paying income taxes anyway, regardless of where you live. So if your healthcare expense is incurred in a foreign country, that's a different animal, I think. But if you're thinking like, hey, I'm 35 right now, I'm going to put all the max in the HSA for the next 30 years. And then my goal is to take money out in retirement, that kind of tax-free deal, the HSA super plus HSA, I don't know what to call it. You know, We have the mega backdoor Roth. Is this the mega front door HSA? I'm not sure what to call it. But I think you can make a case for accumulating all your healthcare expenses for the next 30 years. If you're planning on moving to Costa Rica tomorrow and you're trying to decide whether or not your knee replacement or whatever is covered, that's a very in-depth tax conversation, I think. I think this is also a great uh, time to get the community involved. I'm sure we have some administrators or uh, tax pros that can help us out on this one. So, John, just just wait a few episodes and I'm sure we'll have people helping us with this particular answer. I think he wins a t-shirt for stumping OG. He wins a t-shirt for calling in, so we got to go even oh, one better. Well, there you go. He wins a t-shirt. There you go. You get a t-shirt for Stumpin' OG. You'll get the right half for calling in and the left mm-hmm. half of the t-shirt for Stumpin' OG. You're, you you're very welcome, John. Our next question, we got some letters that were delivered down here to the basement. This one comes from Mike. Mike says, hey, guys, first, thanks for the show. I just stumbled across it a month or so ago, and it's great. Where has Mike been, OG? He should have gotten here earlier. I I say we've been doing it for like at least two months. So at least two months and two episodes. So I have around seventy-five thousand dollars in a Roth IRA currently in target date funds. <laughs> Joe just threw up in his mouth. Excuse go me. Ahead. Sorry about that. Which I've come to find out is not the best place for them. I'm relatively young, still late thirties. So I'd like to move the majority of the money to an S and P index fund. 
With regard to dollar cost averaging in, is there a best way to do this? Should I sell the targeted fund in chunks over several months and slowly make the switch? Or is it better to just make the jump all at once? Thanks for all you do. This is one of my favorite questions of all time, by the way. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not kidding. I love this question. Well, sure. A couple of thoughts. Firstly, from my perspective, I don't know that I would go from a target date fund to only the S&P 500. Maybe there's an international position you should have or small companies or emerging market. Maybe you should look at adding a little bit more diversification than just large U.S. company growth. But. And what's interesting about that, Mike, listening to those positions that OG talks about, historically, if you look at what's called the efficient frontier, which is the best return with the least amount of risk for any rate of return and tax situation that you're in, all of those asset classes OG talked about actually historically are a little riskier. But what's funny is by adding even riskier asset classes than the S&P 500 to the S&P, overall, you actually, and this is the mind bender, because you're taking different types of risk, you're lowering the risk profile of your portfolio and historically have had some returns that are closer to efficient. So fascinating. Just a better experience overall, yeah, just, better investor experience. But, it, yeah. but it's fascinating to me that you can lower the risk by adding riskier stuff. Mm-hmm. As far as the tactical nature of how do I get from the target date fund into this fund or funds that you decide to move into, this is pretty simple. The money's invested right now. Keep it. It should be invested tomorrow. The same, you know, if, if you've got 75 grand invested a day, I would not be monkeying with it. Just get it done. Here's what you got to guard against, Mike. Here's what my, and OG, I don't know if your clients were like this, but my clients totally were all about this. You move on X day. You've had this target date fund for the past eight years and you've had a a run up and lately the market's gotten bumpy. And the big mistake I see people make is they're like, wow, I was in this target date fund and it was performing. I moved to this S&P 500 fund or wherever you decide to go and it sucks. No, 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 no. You can't have your experience with a product influence, and it's hard not to do, influence whether that actually is a good product or a bad product. Good product or bad product is going to be based on how it competes with the market. And if you're actually in an index, you're going to be, you're going to be on the market. So uh, do not think that your fund is good or bad based on you know what the next three months are after you rip the Band-Aid off and just move. I saw that all the time, OG. Do you see that? Well, it's no different than when you rebalance at the end of the year and you say, it's time to put some more money in um, uh, emerging markets right now. And people say, <laughs> why would I want to do that? That's down 22% on the year. It's like, well, that's because that's the right thing to do. Or when you say, hey, we're going to take some money out of this uh, small cap value fund. <laughs> why would I want to do that? It's up 52% this year. Yes, that's why you want to take that off the top. I love rebalancing. Yeah. And it's yeah. it, Bloomberg. It's so awesome. But Bloomberg Magazine, back when they had a physical magazine, I remember reading this great article that said you have to have, and this is a direct quote, guts of steel to do it yeah. for those very reasons. You're like, are you kidding me? This thing's through the roof, OG. What the hell are you talking about? I don't want to do that. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Guts of steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for the questions, Mike and John. If you've got a question for us, head to stackingbenjamins.com. And you know what you'll see at the top of the page? All the ways that you can interface with the show. Thanks to everybody, by the way, who's left a review of this here podcast. And we've, we've got some great ones. This one's going on Mom's Fridge. Very succinct from Jeride. 
Five stars. Love these guys. Friendly, fun, and great advice. Perfect format for a financial podcast. Mom's very proud of us because of Jerry. So thank you, Jerry, for making our life a little easier here, here in the basement. Because if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And on Halloween, we want to keep mom happy. So thanks a ton. All right. That's going to do it for today. OG, you've got some serious, uh, serious dressing up to do for Halloween. Yeah, I'm going to dress up like you, scare all the neighborhood kids. <laughs> Look at the test. So funny. He's here all week. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned? So what did we learn today? Whoa. Wow. I must have passed out back there. Is it trivia time? It's got to be trivia time, right, guys? We never miss trivia. Wait, what? We're done? Whoa. Now that's that's kind of strange. Okay. So what should we have learned today? Uh, okay, I'll just make this up, I suppose. First, take some advice from the Money Monster family. Build your wealth based on your goals, and you'll have everything you want in life without needing tons of debt to get it. Second, whether you're chasing alien life like Tom DeLong from Blink-182 or you're just trying to budget, learning how your numbers work is like learning another language. While it might frustrate you at first, once you know how to read, you'll pick up a whole different set of stories about how to successfully manage money. But the big lesson? Don't let that clown into the basement. I thought he was our next guest on the show, but all he's done is stand in the corner and just stare at me. Hey, buddy, how about speaking up, all right? The show's just about over. Time to chime in. Oh, good. Okay, yeah, here he comes. Special thanks to Mr. and Mrs. Mad Money Monster for joining us today. You'll find them blogging at madmoneymonster.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks also to Clown Guy. Hey, is, is that a chainsaw? That's pretty cool, man. I love it. No, I don't need to. I don't really need to see it up close. It's it's fine. Just you know, hold hold on, man. I don't need to see it up close. Run for your life! Monday, 
we didn't talk about uh, Happy Halloween, by the way, dude. Oh, yeah. I'm dressed as you. Pretty scary. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> dude, isn't it amazing that this just comes out? So we were talking about the shows and the live shows, and one of the great things about it was how I got to know Chris Costello, like just hung out with him so many times. You knew him from before. And, and for, people, for people who don't know Chris Costello, he's the founder of Bloom, who went, founder on, of Bloom. went on tour yeah. with us. Yeah. And so I got to know him. What a, what a cool guy and just a great human being. So we got to the point where we we're kind of ribbing each other a little bit. And so the Detroit show, of course, I was a little tardy to the party. Unbelievably tardy. Well, you're yelling at me like, we've got to practice. I'm like, dude, I got it. So you get there and you said, hey, uh, we're going to have this segment. You know, I need you to come up with da-da-da-da. And, and see so you, and you don't, you don't probably remember this. And if you did, it was second nature to you. But it's you, Chris Costello, and me as you're telling me this. And I just looked at you and I kind of stared at you for a few seconds. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to say. And you're like, perfect. And Chris Chris looks at me and goes, how did you just come up with that? Just <laughs> Just I said, well, that's just how it goes. But uh, my big thing for the whole tour, I told you this too. I don't know how well you listened, but it was important for us to take care of ourselves. A lot of travel, a lot of you know shaking hands and all that sort of stuff. You got germs everywhere. It's easy to eat bad and sleep bad on the road between FinCon and the tour and all that. Other, you know, you were traveling a little bit. I had to travel a little bit in between, and so I said. Joe, make sure you get your sleep. Make sure you eat right. Let's just get through. We can be sick afterward, but let's get through this. And so coming home from the tour, we got home. What time did you go to bed on Wednesday night last week? After the show, I went to bed yeah. just after 1230, actually. But okay. then I had to be and up Reveille at, was at three yep. to, to go catch a plane. Yep. So a couple hours of sleep. And then- I'm sitting in a seat. Luckily, there's nobody next to me. So it was funny. The woman on the on the aisle, I was on the window. We divided and conquered. I kept my legs crossed. So I'm which I which you can't do when you've got legs like mine. So I keep my legs crossed. So I'm using the airspace of the middle passenger who's not there. She took the seat and put all her crap on the seat. So, <laughs> so, so, so and it's funny we didn't talk about it, but it was this natural thing where nope, I got this area, you've got that. But then I wake up. So I watched the end of the Amy Schumer movie we talked about on Monday's after show. Monday, yep. But I wake up. I don't even realize I'm falling asleep. And I wake up and my head is in this weird position and my mouth is wide open. Like just, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I, I, I look over and the woman is quickly looking away because she's, I look like a pretzel with my leg awkward sideways and my face is fallen. So my face is up against the window and I'm looking at her with my mouth open and she's, she's, <laughs> she's like, uh, sir, not awkward. She's staring at me. I know she was cause she's very quickly like, Oh, his eyes are open. But uh, yeah. And by the way, I fell asleep cause it's so hard to sleep on a plane and stay asleep. I fell asleep three times on the plane, came back and on, Thursday, I slept intermittently throughout the day. And then I slept for nine and a half hours uninterrupted from yeah, 930 just, at night till 7am the next day, just uninterrupted. I was, I was tired before the show. We were, sure. we were practicing some of the segments. We were rehearsing some of the segments. And I said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go lay down. And before the show, I can't believe how exhausted I was beforehand. I'm like, Oh, this is just worn on me. 
Yeah, I had a very similar similar travel schedule. Mine was my flight was an hour after yours, so I mercifully got to sleep a little longer. Plus, I don't mind racing to the gate, whereas uh, you, I think you're a little bit more cautious than that than I am. I'm like, yeah, if I don't make that plane, there's another one in a couple hours. So, so I did the same thing. I did not get to take any naps during the day on Thursday. Had my son's football game, long drive. To get to go see the game, and I can't. I wouldn't have been able to. Home. I would have been able to stay awake driving. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, it was an hour and a half, four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, to get out to the game, an hour and a half back, and then, you know, I'm watching him do his homework. He's tired. You know, he's been up since seven in the morning, plus a football game, plus now he's got to do homework at nine fifteen. I just looked at Mrs. OG and I went, "I'm gonna lay this body down for a little bit." I remember playing on my phone and kind of nodding off. And so I said, all right, I'm going to set my phone down and I'm going to listen to the football game. And I hear second and 10 at the mic. And the next thing I hear is beep, beep, beep. The door opening for my kids to go to school at seven 30. As Mrs. OG's taking them out the door. Yeah. So I went from nine 30 to seven 30. So I had 10 hours. You did just didn't didn't move for ten hours, so it and I didn't. And I could probably do another eight hours right now. I was going to say I I still don't feel completely rested. Four days rested. later, <laughs> yes, I still don't feel completely rested. A week later, I could do another eight hours. And listen, I know these are first world problems. Like it was so awesome being able to do all this stuff and see so many people, but I don't know how we did three freaking cities in six weeks. I can't imagine how these people that go from city to city to city to well, city. Jimmy Buffett do it every other day oh. or the Rolling Stones or whatever, you know? Yeah. Or just corporate people who travel every day for work. Or I, I told Cheryl in Detroit, we went to the breakfast area at the hotel we were staying at. And there's these suit and tie people, you can tell, getting ready to go to their next meeting with some, probably some sales thing where they're in town. And I'm like, that would suck. Just, mm -hmm. I do, I do not, and there may, might be somebody listening to this now who does that, that's, you know, suit and tie in a different city three or four days a week and goes out to a different place. And oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Somebody was saying, um, oh, it was the check-in person at the hotel. And she says, oh, wow, Mr. OG, you have a lot of Marriott points. And I said, yeah, it's not a badge of honor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. 57 nights in a hotel in a year is not something that <laughs> one strives for. It's just... You know, although, it just happens. Although for my, for my daughter, she has Hilton points because that's what her company uses and she's a road okay. warrior for them. And at 23, yeah. by the way, that's pretty badass because she walks yeah, she's in. like diamond elite yes. and she's like, you know, I got a million points. I can stay at any hotel in the world for free. And, 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 and you saw my daughter again when we were in Kansas City and she looks like she's even younger than she is. She said she always gets the double take. Like, you? You're, yeah. So, so you're our executive super duper whatever program. Yes. Yeah. She can't even run a car yet. She's so young. She has to get like all these special exceptions through her company to run a car because you got to be 25. And, uh, and she's top of the charts on the hotel thing. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan 
with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org at Navy Federal. Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.